In today's programme, we'll learn about a project to build the fastest car on the planet, which it's hoped will achieve speeds of up to 1,000 miles an hour. What's the point of that, you may ask? Well, we've got the answers. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105. In this section called Scientists at Work, we talk to people who, for some reason or another, find themselves working, researching or thinking about science in Cambridge, England. At a school in Birmingham last year, a bunch of kids set out to make the fastest model rocket ever made. They had to persuade the Guinness Book of Records to create a new category. In other words, they started solving problems. They had to learn about aerodynamics, about design, the chemistry of fuels, engineering and get involved in work which will probably stay with them for the rest of their lives. This kind of involvement is the sort of thing that's behind the project to build the fastest car on earth. The man behind it is entrepreneur Richard Noble, who was the holder of the land speed record between 1983 and 1997. Apparently his car travelled at 633 miles per hour. It's a global education initiative, and some parts of the vehicle, I understand, were made at Cambridge University. I spoke with Ian Galloway, who is Bloodhound's own educational professional development director, and he talks about the technology involved in making a super-fast car. Bloodhound will be a supersonic car. Mm -hmm. Thrust is the only car to have broken the sound barrier, and Bloodhound will be the second What's different about Bloodhound? What's different about Bloodhound is that it's been being designed to reach an extraordinarily high top speed, top speed of a thousand miles an hour, and stay firmly planted on the ground. The thrust only just broke the speed of sound at 763 miles an hour. So you can see there's a massive difference in speed here. And going supersonic requires enormous power to, to actually push through that air and reach a top speed of 1,000 miles an hour, having to push a lot of air out of the way. So, to achieve it, Mm -hmm. instead of two jets, which Thrust had, presenting an enormous amount of air resistance, Bloodhound has a rocket and a jet. So, where is that going to happen? Well, at the moment, the moment the car is being assembled and built in Bristol, uh, near near the um, SS Great Britain, the museum, and... When it's built, they'll consider doing some uh, commissioning on one of the runways near Bristol, and then they'll take it out to South Africa, Haxkeen Pan, possibly the flattest place on Earth. Uh, a, a sandy desert? Or? It's like a mud flat. There's, there's a certain amount of salt, but it's more mud than salt. So the old salt flats of Bonneville and places like that, they're rather hard, and they don't want to risk cracking the wheels so they'd rather have a slightly soft, softer desert. So it's like a dried up mud. Have you seen any of the technology? You know, what sorts of design well, features are there? Well, we, we, we've seen the, the engine itself. The, the engine, the, the jet engine, which has been donated, um, comes from a Eurojet fighter. And the, the rocket has been specially designed by Falcon Rocket Projects. And Falcon have designed this, this rocket to fit neatly into Bloodhound. So the rocket sits right behind the driver. Who's going to be crazy enough to ride this thing? The driver is Andy Green, and Andy Green is the man who drove thrust to 763 miles an hour. 
and he will take Bloodhound up to 1,000. It'll probably be done in three stages, probably something like 800, then 900, then 1,000 miles an hour. So if they, if they achieve that, they'll have broken three world records in the process, or taken three more world records. The tyres, what's... No tyres, of course. The, the sort of speeds, the rotational speeds of, of Bloodhound tyres would just be spun off. I mean, no way tyres are going to stay adhered to the rim. So it's a solid metal wheel. They wanted titanium because titanium is extremely strong. Um, the sort of rotational speeds of Bloodhound's wheels, which are 90, 90 centimetres in diameter, so they're quite big. The actual material could break up at those speeds, but they're going to have to use probably al- aluminium, same as thrust. But they're operating right on the edge of its uh, limits. How about the steering? Does it have steering? Indeed it does. The rules of the world land speed record require that the car turn around at the end of the run under its own steam and repeat the run over the measured mile in the reverse direction. They then take the average of the two speeds to get the the final or calculated speed. And do you have any idea why that rule exists? In case of wind. If there's wind in one direction, it's to negate the effects of wind assistance. So you drive with the wind one direction, against the wind in the other. Now, what other things are there about a car that needs to go that fast? Obviously, it's got to have a very, very carefully streamlined body. I mean, it's been very well designed. It's taken years and years to put the the design into place. What they've done is use a software called Computational Fluid Dynamics. It's only just been possible because computer systems have been able to handle enormous amounts of data processing that's needed. Basically, the bodywork is split into millions of little elements, and the airflow is calculated. It goes into one element, it will move out into neighbouring elements. And so the effect of the air moving into all the neighbouring elements, from one to the other and so on, all over the surface of the car, is calculated to give a final airflow. So, I mean, I would imagine that a vehicle like that might be just like a rocket on wheels. It could put a rocket on wheels. So Aussie Invader, which is, which is being designed in Australia, is basically just a, a great big rocket. The problem with just having a rocket is that it's very hard to control. Once you've switched on a solid-state rocket, for example, that's it. It'll continue till the fuel is used up. You can't even switch it off. So the rocket for Bloodhound is a hybrid rocket, liquid and solid. It means if they want to switch the rocket off, they can. They just switch off the, the, the liquid fuel. So they can switch the rocket off. But once it's going, it goes. The control for the car will be managed through the jet engine. So the jet engine can be throttled. And that's where they will achieve a measure of control. So Andy, the driver, will have a pedal? Oh, yes. He has lots of controls at his disposal, yes. He has to to make sure that the the rocket is started at the correct time. Once that's going, he'll be watching the total thrust on the car to make sure that he reaches maximum speed over the measured mile, because he could miss it. He might peak before, he might peak after. So he's got to make sure the car peaks right during the measured mile. And then, then he has to make sure that he stops in the same distance he took to get up to the measured mile. That's so that when he turns round, he'll be in exactly the right place to repeat the whole performance and hit top speed over the measured mile again. Because they don't move the mile markers, they stay in the same place. So if he's going at 1,000 miles an hour and he's travelling a mile, how soon is that? How long is that journey? The reason for asking is that his journey is so short. Why isn't a computer doing that? It, it, it's about eight, 90 seconds, I think, something like that, the whole journey. Mm-hmm. He has a lot of computer power, sort of helping him actually drive this thing. I'll 
come to that in a minute. But the, initially, the, the jet engine will start. And after about 20 seconds, the rocket will kick in. And the rocket will then burn for 20-odd seconds. And in those 20 seconds, it uses all its fuel. One tonne of hydrogen peroxide. The jet, which will be running for the 40-odd seconds, will use about half a tonne by comparison. There's quite a big difference there. So that the jet, half a tonne of fuel over 40 seconds, and the rocket, a whole tonne of fuel in just 20-odd seconds, which requires a big pump. The pump itself is a Formula 1 V12 engine, five or 600 horsepower just for the pump. Oh, my goodness. And the return journey... What happens there? It's, so he's got momentum and he continues... Yeah, down. he slows down, turns the car around, lines it up, ready for the return run. Then they've got to change the rocket, make sure if they've deployed parachutes, they probably won't, they'll probably use air brakes. But if they deploy those, they've got to be repacked and restowed, it's got to be refueled. All the electronic systems have to be checked and it's got to be done within the hour because the, the return run over the measured mile must be done within one hour of leaving the second marker. <laughs> There's almost no time. And the computing, you were going to say? Oh, yes. Bloodhound is equipped with two little, perhaps more than two little wings, but anyway, certainly two little wings on the front called canards. And they're designed to move a little bit, like the sort of rear wing on the back of a car Mm -hmm. they put on some cars. And it's designed to alter the lift on the the force that is exerted on, on the road by the rear wheels on a car. Bloodhound... It'll be the force exerted on the desert floor by the front wheels. But they'll be computer controlled. There were some discussions to whether Andy Green should should have control himself, but it was decided in the end that it, it required the assistance of a computer to make those very small adjustments, but very very quickly, all the time, continually reacting to the changing force exerted by the wheels on the road. And that's because as the thrust increases, it's very difficult to actually ensure that, for example, the back wheels don't lift off. Because it's being, this car is being pushed, the wheels are not being rotated, it's being pushed forwards. And that means it will rotate around the front wheels, lifting the back wheels off the desert floor. So they want to make sure that those wheels stay there. And who's behind this? The project director is, is Richard Noble, who was the project director for Thrust SSC as well. And the purpose of the project... Mm-hmm is to encourage children to think of a career in STEM. It's not to encourage them to drive fast cars or anything like that, but simply to think about the engineering challenges which which are present in a big project like this, and perhaps to get them to think, well, yes, I could become an engineer, I could do some mathematics, it'll be on different projects. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it won't be politicians who will solve the world's problems. It won't even be scientists won't be mathematicians, it'll be engineers. Engineers are the people who bring the various disciplines together and find solutions to difficult problems. And believe me, when Bloodhound goes, there are some very difficult problems to overcome. Thank you very much, Ian. That's pretty much all for today's show. Scientists at Work is made by the Science Show team on Community Radio, Cambridge 105. You can also find past episodes on the website, www.cambridge105.fm. You can also subscribe to future podcasts with the iTunes store. You can get in touch with us on the email science at cambridge105.fm or on Twitter at 105science. Till next time, it's bye from the Science Show team of Roger Frost and Chris Kreese. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105. <laughs>